All right, so tonight we're going to be touching on a new life in Christ. This is the last uh, message in our series, Unpacking the Gospel. If you haven't listened to the first seven messages, I do encourage you to, to do so. We have touched on many topics, including the goodness of God, the, sinf- the sinfulness of man, the person and work of Christ, and the blessing of salvation. And so tonight we'll focus on, now that we are saved, what does our life in Christ look like? And I'm going to start off by just asking a few questions. These are rhetorical, so you don't have to answer. But it's, why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray? And why do you go to church? The way we answer these questions can have a significant impact on the way we perform these activities. For example, if we read the Bible because it's just part of our routine, it won't be long before you begin to treat these exercises as just another thing, right? Another check mark to check off your list. And what happens often is when you don't feel like doing something, if it's only just a routine and you don't understand why you're doing it, it's very easy for those things to go by the wayside. How many people we know who used to be professing believers who are no longer walking with God? How many people we know who are no longer going to church? And I will submit unto you that perhaps part of the reason why they no longer do these things is because they were doing them, not because they understood the implication, but perhaps out of just moral obligation or just as a legalistic way of just trying to earn favor with God but not truly understand the impact of the Holy Spirit on our lives and why it's critical for us to do these things. So tonight, I want to spend the time not so much giving you a list of things to do, although we are going to talk about some list, but to really focus on why we do what we do as believers. Because I truly believe if we understand the why, then the outworking of the Christian life becomes very easy, becomes very simple. And it becomes a joy to do these things because we understand the implications behind them and we understand what God is doing through those things that we do. So there's three things that we're going to cover. They are in your outline, three major topics. The first one is our union with Christ, which is our life. The second is our union with the church, which is our new family. And the third is reflecting the gospel of Christ in the world. So starting with our union with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, or a new creation, some version says. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The first thing I want to emphasize tonight is the reason... We do what we do as Christians because we have entered into a relationship with the creator of the universe, who is a person. And if you think about what that means, so the God who made the heavens, the God who made the earth, the God who made everything, the stars, the moon, the sun, who holds everything in the palm of his hands and keeps them moving perfectly in perfect symmetry, perfect harmony, despite of sin, He keeps those things moving perfectly. The laws of gravity can never be broken. We have entered into a relationship with this God of the universe. He knows every hair on our heads. He has made us. He knows every heartbeat that we're going to take from now to the end of our lives. And we have entered into a relationship with this God. 
And it's a privilege for us, brethren. And it's an exciting thing to think about the reality of that statement. A lot of times, Christians or professing believers treat our walk with God as a transaction, right? If I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I do these things, then God is going to bless me in these ways. And the problem with that is when we face trials and opposition, we start to think God is unfair. Why is God doing this to me? I'm going to church. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do as a good Christian. I shouldn't experience these sufferings. I shouldn't experience this pain. And yet here we are. But if we see our walk with God as a relationship, we understand that he knows what's best for us. And he knows everything. And so whatever he brings into our life is because there is, there is a specific purpose behind everything that he does and everything that he does is good. So that is the foundation of everything that we're going to talk about today is that we are in a relationship with the creator of the universe. And so how do we cultivate this relationship with God? We are coming in, some of us as brand new babes in Christ. Some of us have been in a faith for many, many years. But the way we grow in our walk with God is the same, whether you've been in a, in a faith for just a few days or two decades. And it is through these three things that I'm going to talk about, which is number one, knowledge of God. Number two is faith. And number three is loyalty to God. So starting first with knowledge of God, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The knowledge of God is the most important thing that we can attain, that we can pursue as Christians, because that's the foundation of everything that we do in this life. About 51 times the word knowledge appears in the Bible, and most of the time it's, talking, it's like positive commands to grow in the knowledge of God. And we're going to look at just a few passages in Colossians. So if you turn to Colossians chapter 1. And um, Colossians 1 verse 9 says, and this is Paul talking to the Colossians, and he, he is referring to their love for God. And he says this, upon hearing of their faith, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul understands that the biggest thing that the Colossians need at the start of their walk of faith is to understand the knowledge of the will of God. And he connects that directly to wisdom and spiritual understanding. So as we grow in the knowledge of God, we gain wisdom. We start to understand how God operates in our lives and why he does what he does in our lives and in the world. And we also grow in understanding supernatural understanding. Paul goes on to verse 10 of chapter 1 of Colossians, and he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So second time, he talks about the knowledge of God. First, knowing the knowledge of his will and then increasing in the knowledge of God, which means that you can never arrive Right? You, can, you never get to a point in your Christian walk where you say, I know everything there is to know about God. I don't need to know anything else. We can always grow 
in our knowledge and understanding of who God is. And going on to chapter 2 of uh, Colossians, Colossians 2 verse 3, Paul says, in talking about Christ now, he says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So knowing God, you get wisdom, you get understanding, you get to understand his will, and you get to understand Christ himself. And lastly, Colossians 3 verse 10 says that we have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So Christ, as Paul talks about, who lives in us, right? God created us and he has made us as new creatures and he's given us his Holy Spirit. And he says, this new man that we now are made into has been renewed in the knowledge in knowledge after the image of God himself. And so knowing God is intricately woven into our understanding of everything there is to know about life, everything there is to know about the will of God. And so how do we get this knowledge? It's through reading the Bible and it's through prayer. And again, I'm not going to give you a formula tonight of how often you need to read the Bible or pray. But what I'm going to say is if you think about the necessity of growing in knowledge and understanding the creator of the universe whom we have a privilege to enter into a relationship with, how often should we be or how, how committed should we be in getting to know this God, right? So I will leave you to answer that question. Um, and the, the second thing that Well, before we go to the second part, I just want to highlight one quick thing. And when we look at Romans chapter 1, and you don't have to turn there, but when you look at Romans chapter 1, and in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says that the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness of man. And it talks about how they have turned the truth of God into a lie. And in verse 28, just to show you how critical the knowledge of God is, in verse 28 of chapter 1 of Romans, it says... Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, speaking about the heathens, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient. So we see that we have in the world those who, who, who rebel against God. They're rebelling against just the very knowledge of God that they ought to attain, that they ought to pursue, but they refuse not to. And as a result of that, their mind becomes reprobate and they instead of gaining wisdom and knowledge and the will of God and understanding they instead are falling into deception that is in the world the second piece that we're going to look at is faith and as we grow in the knowledge of God we nurture our relationship with God through faith and faith is nothing more than just trusting what we learn about God Whatever you learn about God in his word, whatever he's revealing to you in his word, you believe it. You trust it. You put your faith in it. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And you think about why does God say it's impossible to please him without faith? It's because 
when we don't believe God, right, we are in essence saying that God can be trusted. God is a liar. And if you read the scriptures, there's nothing in the pages of scripture that would even suggest that God can be trusted, that God cannot be completely um, believed. And so anything other than true faith is in essence calling God a liar. And that's why faith pleases God because it calls God his word and God is more than happy to be called at his word and to be say, Lord, you said this, I'm going to believe it. I don't know how it's going to happen, but this is what your word says. It's like a little child. My dad said he's going to take me fishing next week. He's going to take me fishing next week. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to take me fishing. So we read certain things in God's word and God tells us to believe it. Doesn't, we don't need to know how these things are going to happen or what he's doing behind the scenes to make those things come to pass. We simply read his word and we believe his word. And when we do that, God is pleased to do miracles in our lives because of our faith. And the third thing that we're going to talk about in this first section is loyalty to God. And loyalty is important because just like knowing God, just like believing God, we have been bought at a precious price, right? And Romans 6 talks about not offering our members to works of unrighteousness or sin, but now that we have been made new, to not offer our members to Christ, to work of righteousness and godliness. And loyalty to God does a few things in our lives. Number one, it eradicates the fear of man. It gives us boldness and courage to say, I do not care if the whole world goes left. If God tells me to go right, I'm going to go right. Um, my brother-in-law, who I, whom I highly respect, um, man of God, he once told me, and he was not joking. He once told me, and you know, he's very animated. He said, if God tells me to jump off this building, I'm going to jump off the building. <laughs> and... Um, and he had this faith where he believed whatever God tells him, it doesn't matter if he himself doesn't understand what God is telling him to do. He knows if God is telling me to do this, I'm going to do it. And it gives us such boldness and courage because, again, we know that God, he knows all things. He's a creator of the universe. And so he knows the outcome. And, uh, and if you read countless examples of scripture where people are facing the most dire situation, Daniel and his friends choosing to not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, I'm going to throw you in the fire. Says, I don't care if we die in the fire. God is able to save us. And even if he can't save us, we're still not going to bow down. That's the type of loyalty that we are being called to. That it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what, what the consequences are. If God is tells me to do something, I'm going to do that what, which God is telling me to do and leave the outcome over to him. And um, Charles Stanley, a famous televangelist, used to always say, fight your battles on your knees and leave the outcome to God. And this is the way of the Christian life. We walk with God, we're loyal to God, and it doesn't matter what the outcome is. I'm going to do exactly what God tells me to do come what may. And so, brethren, our Christian walk is a privilege 
And so as we pursue God in this way, by understanding him, by, by, by growing in our knowledge of God, and then by trusting the things that we read in his word, and by being loyal to him, God will do wonders in our lives. And um, we have to understand, too, though, that God doesn't leave us by ourselves in doing any of this stuff. And if you listen to all the seven previous classes, what's been emphasized up to this point is that we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given God's grace to enable us to do those things that I'm talking about. And the reason I emphasize the relationship that we have with God now is because that is truly the reason why we pursue God in this way. Because we are in a relationship with Him, and that relationship requires our complete um, faithfulness and loyalty in getting to know Him. But one other thing that God gives us to help us in this walk is the church. And this is what we're going to talk about next, is the church as our new family in Christ to help us in our walk with God. And if you look in your outline, the first point emphasizes baptism, discipleship, and growth in community. We have many sermons online talking about baptism, so I'm not going to go too much into baptism. Suffice to say, baptism doesn't save us. Baptism is simply a representation of what God has already done in our lives. When we go under the water, it represents us going down under the water with Christ. I mean, sorry, going down in, in, in burial with Christ and then rising up to newness of life, just like he rose from the grave and to newness of life. Discipleship is growing one another, helping each other to grow in the knowledge of God and growth in this community that God has given us as our new family. And so discipleship and growth in community are the two things that I'm going to emphasize in this next section. So first, there are five things that the Bible speaks about that as express things that we should be pursuing as believers. And we see this, if you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And we're going to look at those five things briefly before we move on to our last point. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. I'm sorry, is it chapter 2? Does it say, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith? Is that what you see there? Okay, so it should be chapter 1. I'm sorry about that. It should be Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. <clears throat> and it says, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, or self-control, to self-control, patience, and to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word charity there is basically love. That's the way most of the translations um, translate it. So let's look at each one, right? So we are now in this walk of faith in the community of believers. 
And we are to pursue these five traits as new believers. So what is virtue? Virtue is one of those things that it's, um, it can be easily confused. And even as I was doing this course, I went into this course not really understanding what virtue is until I looked it up. Most of the times we think of virtue as, as you know, modesty, but physical modesty and such thing. But the, the way that the, the dictionary, and this is the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, defined virtue is moral goodness. But I like this next definition. It says, nothing more than voluntary obedience to truth. So you want to know what it means to be virtuous. It means submitting yourself to what is true and being obedient to that which is true. And we talked about already in the first part, right? As we grow in the knowledge of God, He's going to reveal truth to us. And our job now as believers is to submit ourselves to the truth that God has revealed to us. There was a plague going on in, in Christendom, I would say, but more like professing Christendom, which is this thing called deconstructionism. Have you guys heard of this term? And the whole idea is that you have these people who... Many of them say they've been Christians for many years, but all of a sudden, they're starting to get new understanding of Christ, new understanding of God. And what's interesting is that this understanding that they're receiving is contrary to what we see in the Bible. So instead of rejecting this deception that they're receiving, they choose instead to reject God's word, and they pursue that which is unholy. That is not virtuous. Right? Virtue is submitting to truth, even though it might be difficult to understand some of the truth we see in Scripture, but submitting to them nonetheless, because again, He's the God of the universe. He knows all things. And if we don't understand something, God Himself says, if you lack wisdom, go and ask Him for wisdom. He's going to give it to us. Right? If we lack understanding, He will give it to us. And God is more than pleased to give us these things. And the second thing that we are to grow in is knowledge. We talked about this already, and the way the dictionary defined this term is a clear and a certain perception, again, of truth. But when we look at the way the Bible talks about it, we see that there is no knowledge apart from God himself. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we cannot have truth if we don't have God. This idea that you can have your truth, I can have my truth, he can have his truth. That's what, that's what we see in the world, right? But as believers, the Bible tells us how to find truth. And, and we find truth by finding God. We find truth by pursuing God. He is the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. So we pursue him. And in so doing, we learn what is true. And then we see temperance or self-control. Self-control is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we see in Galatians chapter 5. Another way to think of it is moderation. And connecting this to um, the next one, and I think once we talk about a little bit more patience, you understand self-control more, um, is patience. And many of us think of patience, and it's not the wrong way to think of patience, but I think biblical patience has a little bit deeper meaning than this. But the way we often think of patience is that um, bearing with a personality that is unbearable, right? We have people in our lives that are, can be very annoying, 
and we think we're patient if we are bearing with them. But when you look up the word patience in the Bible, it goes far deeper than just bearing with annoyance. Biblical patience is having a perseverance in the face of difficulties or trials. It's suffering afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, or any other evil with an unruffled temper, an unruffled um, spirit, if you will. Enduring suffering, enduring difficulty without murmuring or complaining or without fretfulness. That is the kind of patience that Peter is calling us to hear. We are going to go through trials. The Bible says whoever desires to live godly is going to be persecuted. We have an enemy who wants nothing more than to see us walk off the path of life and into destruction. So he's going to bring all types of trials, all types of temptations. And God himself uses trials to strengthen our faith. So when we understand the purpose of trials in this way, we recognize God's hand behind all of that. And that helps us to bear those trials without murmuring and complaining. Now, we are human beings, okay, and it's natural to get to a point where we, where we need to vent, where we need to let things out, and that's why I would encourage you to listen to the sermon that Pastor Joe did a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was on Psalm 39, um, where he, he talks about where, we, where, where do we take our complaints? We take them right back to God. We take them right back to the one who understands not just the source of our pain and affliction, but he understands the purpose behind it. And so he's the one who is able to give us a supernatural peace so that we can suffer and actually bring glory to his name through that suffering. The last place we want to take our complaints is to the world. The last place we want to take our complaints is to unbelievers who want nothing more than to mock our God. Then we give them an opportunity to blaspheme. So that sermon was very encouraging to me personally, and I encourage you to listen to it as well. And um, because, again, we need a place of vent, but the place of vent is to God. And the place of vent is to where the source of our comfort is, and that is to him. And he gives us what we need, and he's able to comfort us. He's able to dry our tears when we come to him with our pain and our suffering. And that's because he loves us. In the next two... Um, traits go hand in hand brotherly kindness and again this was another one that can be somewhat difficult to understand because sometimes we think of kindness as just being nice to people Um, but I like the way that the dictionary described this one described it as a goodwill or benevolence and it goes on to say brotherly kindness is that temper or disposition which delights in contributing to the happiness of others. So having a heart and a desire to want to see your brothers and sisters in Christ be happy and be joyful in the Lord. And that can take on many forms. It can be exercising cheerfulness and gratifying their wishes. So somebody has a request of you and cheerfully granting that request and helping them along with whatever they need supplying their wants, or it could be alleviating their distresses in the moment of affliction that they're experiencing. And again, we did a whole class um, talking about the one another's, and we covered this in the class 
um, of, of the one, one anothering. So you can learn a little bit more about this. But brotherly kindness is about seeking the best for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes that can mean telling them hard truths that they don't want to hear. Right? Because wanting the best for others, as the Bible says in Proverbs, the wounds from a friend can be trusted. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So there are times when as a Christian, right, you are going to be called to wound your brother or sister in Christ because you love them and you don't want them to see, you don't want to see them go astray. And, um, and brotherly kindness calls us to that. And lastly is love, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, similar to seeking their, their uh, best uh, interest uh, is connected here, just as it is with brotherly kindness. And so we see virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, and love. You can spend an entire lifetime developing these traits. And, um, and as believers, right, there is great blessing and there is great joy and there is great happiness in actually pursuing these things. And again, we have the Holy Spirit who helps us to pursue these things. And we have one another and God has put us in a body of believers to help us develop in these areas. But then there's a second thing that I want to highlight as we grow in these traits. Because remember I said earlier that the Lord has put us in a body of believers to help us grow as Christians. And so that takes two forms, right? There's one where we look to others and we imitate what they do. There's another sense where we are the ones setting an example for others to follow. So I encourage all of us that as we pursue these things, these traits, that we'll be thinking about how can we set an example for new believers to follow? I think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a very bold statement. How many of us can tell a new believer who just walks into the church, hey, I want to learn this Christian life. I want to know how to be a good husband, a good wife, a good brother, a sister. And like, just, just follow me. Come to my house, see how I treat my wife, see how I treat my husband, see how I treat my kids, and you're going to learn these things. Right? How many of us can say that? And it's, it's almost daunting to even say it because we, we look at ourselves and we, we, we see our shortcomings and we see our, our failures and Paul is no different from us. He's a man tempted just like we are, but he had the power of God just like we have the power of God. And he's able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And the reason Paul is able to say this, I believe, is that because he was pursuing God with all of his heart, with all of his might. And so God was working through him. And so he's able to develop these traits that he can then look back to other believers and say, hey, I have learned some things in the faith that I can teach to you. And many of you have learned things in the faith that you can impart to other people. So despite, you know, not having attained to, you know, perfection, because we don't get there until we get to heaven, but there are things that God has taught you. There are things that God has shown you that you can impart to others. So don't be afraid to allow other believers to come and say, hey, just, just see how I do this thing. 
and you will learn how to do it as well. A testimony that was a blessing to me, um, if you went to the 20-year anniversary celebration that Wayne had a few weeks ago, Brother Ken Kulig talks about, talked about how when he first became a Christian, he was a teenager. He was the only one in his family who was a Christian at the time. And probably still to this day, perhaps the only person in his family. But he talked about learning deep, abiding prayer by actually going to prayer meetings with brothers Louis Zapata and others in Wayne and seeing how they prayed. And that's how he learned how to pray. It wasn't reading a book. It was, hey, I'm going to go to this brother's house and they're going to show me how to pray. And in essence, what these brothers were saying, hey, come follow me as I follow Christ in the area of prayer. Come follow me as I follow Christ in seeking his face and interceding. And this brother, to this day, 20 years later, he's able to talk about how he learned how to pray by actually seeing another brother pray. And so that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about having the entire Christian life figured out. I'm talking about this one thing that the Holy Spirit has taught you and being open enough and willing enough to say, come follow me in this area as I follow Christ. And some other practical things, and I'm not going to delve into this too long because we touched, this, we, we touched on this in our previous class of one anothering. But if you look at Titus chapter 2, it actually does a beautiful job of laying out what the older men are to teach the younger men and what the older women in the faith are to teach the younger women in the faith. So if you want to turn there to Titus chapter 2, and we're going to touch on this briefly and then move on to our last part. But in Titus 2, these are the things that the men, the older men, were to teach the younger women. And I'm just going to list them out. Number one, how to be sober-minded, to not absorb things that will corrupt their minds. Number two, how to show a pattern of good works, how to show a pattern of faithfulness in the things of God. Number two, number three talks about the older men are to teach the younger women, I mean, sorry, the, the younger men, how to show sincerity and how to show sound speech that cannot be uh, condemned. And then we look at the beginning of the chapter 2 here. We see what the, the age, the older women, were to teach the younger women. And it was things such as, again, how to be sober-minded, how to love their husbands, love their children, how to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, and obedient to their own husbands. And then he encapsulates all of that by saying, do those things, meaning older men, older women, teach these things to the younger people so that the word of God would not be blasphemed. We have entered into a relationship with the, universe, with the creator of the universe, and we are to learn certain things and teach certain things to one another so that the word of God would not be blasphemed. And God is happy to use us in every and all of these areas of life if we, are, if we submit ourselves to Him. And even for the children that are here, if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, there are things that the children can model to other children 
and that is to obey your parents, as it says in, 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 in Ephesians chapter 6. And then there's a promise connected to that, which is obey your parents so that your life may be long on this earth. So all of us in the body of believers, we have things that we can learn, that we ought to be learning, and we have things that we can teach to the younger people that are, or younger believers that are around us. So all of us together, we are truly a family being used by God to impact one another and to also impact the world. As we wrap up, this is the, the third thing that I want to talk about now is how we reflect the gospel in the world. And one thing I want to say, right, if you think about what we've talked about, right, so the three areas in which we nurture our relationship with God is knowledge, faith, and loyalty. The two areas in which we are to um, grow in, in, in this relationship that we have with one another as, a, as, as the church is through learning and also imitating certain things to others. And the third part, reflecting the gospel in the world, this is where... I believe that we get to experience the power of God more and more as we take what he's taught us and now we're actually going out and putting those things into practice in the world. And the three areas in this, which is number one, sharing the gospel with others. Number two, living life on the basis of the gospel. And number three, reminding ourselves of the gospel daily. So the first part, sharing the gospel with others. If you think back to what brought you to Christ, many of us have a story where somebody came and shared the gospel with us. And we look back, we, we would almost kiss the feet of these people because of their love for us, that they were loving enough to bring the gospel to us. And we see how cherished this message is to us. And so, as we bring the gospel to other people, the Bible calls us as beautiful feet, bringing the word out. But the other thing that we see is that in sharing the gospel, we are literally sharing the power of God. As Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is a power of God unto salvation for all those who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So as we bring the gospel, we are bringing forth the power of God. And one thing that we cannot do is save somebody. I cannot go and say, okay, I want this person to be saved, so I'm just going to do something to get the... We have to rely on the power of God. And it is by relying on the power of God we bring the gospel to them. And then what joy it is when we actually see somebody turn from a wretched sinner to a child of God. And um, I remember one of the blessings in my life, and some of you have heard this before, but um, there was a friend of mine. I knew him in college. And then after we graduated for 10 years, we did not see each other. We did not hang out. I had gotten saved, and so we parted ways. And a few weeks before I reconnected with him, I had been praying to God, Lord, bring somebody to my life that I can share the gospel with and actually see them saved. 
I haven't had the privilege of seeing many people be saved as a result of me sharing the gospel. But I wanted to see somebody get saved. And, um, and lo and behold, I meet my friend after 10 years of not meeting him. And the first thing we talked about was the gospel. And then seeing over the course of days and weeks how God transformed his life, literally before my eyes. And many of you met him before he tragically passed away. But we saw how God transformed his life. And that to me is like the biggest miracle that I could ever witness. Is to see somebody that I knew come to faith and see them radically change for God. And many of you have the same testimony where you have seen people radically change for God. And what a joy it is. And so we get to experience the power of God as we go out and share the gospel. And should somebody not turn to Christ in the moment that we share the gospel, that's okay. Because God is the one doing the work. We are the one planting the seed, and God is going to send somebody else to water. And there are points in time where we might be the one watering a seed that somebody else has already planted. But ultimately, God is the one who will give the increase in His timing. And we can trust Him for that. And the other way we experience God's goodness, I believe, in sharing the gospel is to actually see the ways that boldness gets manifested in us as we share the gospel. How many times we have met on a Saturday to go down Kearney Ave, and you drive and you're like, man, this, <laughs> this is the last place I want to be right now. I'm nervous. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then we pray and we go out, and all of a sudden, you meet that first person, and the Holy Spirit just comes. And you saying things that I have no idea. I did not prepare this, but the Lord is just giving you the words to speak, just giving you the words to, to share with somebody who is in need. And this is the power of God that we get to experience as we share the gospel. The second way we experience the power of God as we reflect the gospel in the world is actually living life based on the gospel, on the basis of the gospel. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I, now which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul is writing this to the Galatians who at the time... He's warning them not to forsake Christ to try to be justified by the law. Paul is saying, you have the best thing that you can have, and that is in Christ. You have salvation in Christ. It's a miracle. The thing that the law could not do, which is to bring righteousness, Christ by coming down, by the creator of the universe, by coming down, descending and condescending to us, living a life that we could not live. He has saved us and done what no one else could do. And Paul says, I live this life now by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. Paul is living his life by faith. He's not living his life by sight. And faith is a powerful thing. And we get to experience the goodness of God in ways that again, we cannot imagine if we simply turn from just living by sight and living by faith. 
the way Paul commanded us to. It reminds me of the story of Caleb in the book of Joshua. And I've shared this story before with some of you. If you read the book of Numbers, Joshua, I mean, Caleb was one of the people that went into, into the promised land as a spy. And he came back with the 12 spies, right? He came back with the 11. And of the 12 spies, Caleb and Joshua were the only two spies that brought a good report, that were calling the people to be faithful to, to God. And God made a promise to Caleb. And the promise is that Caleb was going to inherit a special piece of land in Canaan. And this was the land of the Anakites, which were the ones that were causing such fear in the people that the, that the spies were saying, listen, we can't take this land because these people are giants in the land. They are huge. Their cities are fortified with fences. And God said, Caleb, that's the land I'm going to give you. 45 years later, they inherit the land. And what, what does Caleb do? Caleb marches right up to Joshua and says, yep, God made a promise to me 45 years ago. And I'm here to claim that promise. And Caleb believed God. And he saw the fulfillment of that promise that God had made to him. And there are things in the scriptures, brethren, that when I think about how, how it's possible to even experience that, it's only a miracle of God. And the one that comes to mind is Philippians 4, 6-7. And maybe this would encourage some who are suffering today. But it says, do not be anxious for anything, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guide your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And I tell you, sometimes you go on through stuff and you don't understand how in the world am I going to have peace to this situation? How in the world am I going to stop crying about this thing that I'm going through? How in the world am I going to stop just being depressed or anxious about this thing that is happening in my life? But here we have a promise from God that he says, bring this thing to him. And he's promising that the peace that surpasses understanding is going to protect you, is going to guard you, is going to give you joy that you cannot even experience. And brethren, that is what faith is. Is knowing, I read this in God's word, I don't know how it's going to happen, but Lord, I'm trusting you to give me this peace in the midst of this storm. And um, our brother Izzy sent an email today regarding just the, the supernatural peace that the Lord has given to our brother Miguel as he suffers and trying hard not to be emotional, but reading that email, you see the power of God in his life. That somebody could be suffering so much, and yet they're not complaining, they're not grumbling, they are relishing to hear God's word, and they are seeking to praise him in all things. This is the experience. This is the experience of the power of God that we get to have as we live our life on the basis of the gospel. And God is able to do supernatural things. And I'm not talking about the word of faith movement, which says, you pray for a car, you're going to get a car. You pray for an airplane, you're going to get an airplane. I'm talking about 
praying for peace in the midst of a storm and seeing God hand come and give you that peace that you never thought was possible. That's the type of power that I'm talking about. Not to say that God can't give you a car and a job and all these things, but I think that there are far greater things that God wants to give us than those temporal things that moth can come and eat and that can get destroyed. He's looking to give us things that are going to last us all eternity in heaven. And lastly, as we close, we experience the power of God by reminding ourselves of the gospel on a daily basis. A pastor once said, if you want to sanctify me, remind me of how Christ ascended Golgotha with the heavy cross upon his back. Remind me of the nails that were driven through his hands and feet for my sins. Remind me of the lashes he endured upon his back, the crown of thorns upon his head, and the cruel mocking he received, all for my sins. When we understand where we were prior to Christ, we understand the depravity that we were in, the life that we once lived, and we see how God has dramatically transformed our lives, as many of you testified today even. You see how God has changed your desires. Those are the things that cause us to love God more and more. And those are the things that we remind ourselves of more and more. Lord, I remember where I was before you saved me. I remember the, the addictions that I was under. I remember the anxiety that I was experiencing. I remember the sins. I remember the, the, um, all of the things that I was doing to hurt people and people hurting me. And you came and rescued me from all of that. And you saved me. And these are the ways we comfort ourselves and we remind ourselves of what God has done in our lives. And out of gratitude... We love him, and that love causes us, as the Bible says in Romans 12, to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Why? Because that is our reasonable service. That is, that is the heart of gratitude that we have, that we present ourselves to God because we remember what he's done for us. And we are so enamored with him that we just want to give him all of our lives. And as if that were not enough, as if that were not enough, when we do these things, as we, as we live for God, as we get to know Him, as we pursue Him, He does something that is amazing. And that is, He gives us joy, He gives us peace, He gives us love, He gives us contentment, He gives us patience, He gives us all of the attributes that he himself has and he gives that to us freely because now we are his children psalm 16:11 says you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore this is the god that we serve what I'm talking about here, the world cannot understand because everything that I just talked about, the world sees it as yet another thing to check off the box. Oh, you want me to go to church? Oh, you want me to read my Bible? It's not fun at all. There's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more fun. There's nothing more amazing and joyful than actually getting to learn the creator of the universe and getting to know who God is. 
And if you struggle with these things, brethren, go to God. That's part of growing your walk with Him, right? If you, if you don't have the desire to read the Bible, if you don't have the desire to pray, He knows that. You cannot hide that from Him. He already knows that. So the best thing you can do is just go to Him and say, Lord, I don't have the desire to pray. I don't have the desire to read the Bible. Give me that hunger for your word. Give me that hunger to pray. Give me that hunger to actually love people. Give me that. And, and God will give it to you. And God will show you areas in your life that you may need to repent of sin. Areas in your life that you may need to have contentment. But one thing that he will not do is cast you away if you come to him. And so there's no need, there's no sense in hiding how you feel to somebody who sees all of you. Right? It's just going to him and just being transparent because he loves to welcome us in. And the Bible says he will not cast us out if we come to him. So as we close, I just want to say that the Christian life is not complicated. We tend to complicate things, but if you think about it, the Christian life is not complicated because Jesus himself says, take my yoke upon, upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the Christian life is simple, right? It's not easy, but it's simple. It's not easy because we have an enemy but it's simple because we have a greater power and a greater strength that has overcome everything. So to close, I just want to recap everything by saying that our Christian life, let it, be, let it be marked by gratitude. Let it be marked by a pursuit of the knowledge of God. Let it be marked by a walk of faith and not walking by sight. Allow God's grace to guide you and lead you into the truth each day and rely only on His power. Literally, take God at His word and walk in obedience. Whatever you read, take God at His word. And when you do fall, know that we have an advocate with the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Seek His face, repent, and continue the journey of faith. God bless you. Thank you.